This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to this edition of the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Today's show was pulled from January the 28th in 2014. Going to be a doubleheader for you today. All Stephen Reichlin talking all kinds of odd meat goodness. A bunch of other Stephen Reichlin stuff. Let's get right to it. Here's Greg Rempe, Stephen Reichlin from January the 28th in 2014. Uh, anyway, my next guest, a multiple-time author, TV show host, cooking class instructor, and frequent guest to the show. We waste a little time in welcoming back uh, Stephen Reichland to the show. Stephen, how are you, my friend? Great. How about you? Doing absolutely fabulous, Stephen. Uh, how does the new year find you? Uh, well, uh, the new year finds me finishing up a new book. Uh, it's called Man-Made Meals, uh, an essential cookbook for guys. Uh, a little bit of a departure from my uh, laser focus on barbecue. Yes, I include barbecue and grilling, but uh, it's really sort of a giant joy of cooking for men, telling you everything you need to, to know. Uh, as you know, the tail end of a book is uh, when you're going over galleys and pages, it's a huge amount of work, and this has been a three-year project. Uh, the end is in sight. That makes me really happy. Is this geared more towards the single Joe, or is this just for guys in general, married or not? This this is everybody from uh, college students starting out with their first cooking experience in their dorm room to uh, to uh, boomers who are maybe uh, starting out with cooking in retirement, starting a new life. Uh, People who are uh, ardent cooking enthusiasts want to take it uh, up to the next level. Uh, beginners, uh, I mean, it's a 650-page book, so there's something in it for everybody. Stephen, do you think as far, I mean, I'm going to sound like an old guy when I say this, but do you think as a, a, a younger generation coming up, I'm 39, getting ready to turn 40 in July, but you have you know, the, the guys in, that are coming out of college now, do you find them or, or that uh, generation to be one that has been... Uh, catered to so much that they really don't know how to kind of fend for themselves, or do you find it uh, to be quite the opposite because of... Just, no, on the contrary, I find that the generation coming up now, uh, having grown up uh, entirely with uh, food television and and, uh, just incredible rising sophistication and competence in American cooking, uh, I think this generation is more juiced about cooking than, uh, certainly than my generation, and then we are uh, more informed, uh, better ingredients available. People care about not only what they're eating, but where it comes from, if the animals were ma- raised uh, humanely, if fruits and vegetables have a great flavor, not only look better. No, I am extremely optimistic about the next generation. Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. You said that this is a three-year project. I mean, you've written 
any number of books, uh, whether it be related to... 29, strictly. but who's, this, this is actually number 30, but who's wow. counting? Who's counting? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, most of these have been, as you said, focused on uh, the live fire aspect of it. You'd made mm-hmm. that huge departure a year or so ago with uh, the novel that had nothing to do uh, with barbecue or grilling per se. And then, uh, you know, you're kind of back at it. I mean, three years, is that the longest it's taken to get a book kind of from start to finish? No, you know, Planet Barbecue was a four-year project. Oh. Uh, Barbecue Bible was a four-year project. Uh, if any of your, uh, those of your listeners who are familiar with my, my books know, uh, I write big books that uh, take a long time, and I, uh, and one thing about a book, you uh, you can't rush it, and in you know this age of tweets with 144 characters, it's really nice to have the luxury to to, to spend three or four years develop, developing a theme. Is there ever a point in that? I mean, four years, three years seems like a huge time span to me. Of course, I have the attention of a, a small mouse. But it seems like maybe in, in once you get to that year and a half or even two years, where at four years, that's just 50% of the way that you could have a tendency to lose focus. How are you able to really stay on track and, and push towards that finish line? Well, first of all, uh, uh, the answer to that is that it's, uh, it, it's so fascinating. The research for me is so fascinating. I mean, this is not just a collection of recipes. Uh, I have a... Uh, one of the features of the book is a series of what what are called food dudes, where I interview actors like Stanley Tucci, uh, activists like Michael Pollan, chefs like Thomas Keller, uh, young guys, old guys. And the interviews are all about their attitudes about cooking, their philosophies of cooking, uh, what they think it's important, what guys should learn, what we should keep in mind, the mistakes we make. So uh, the process of researching this book has been so fascinating that uh, I don't think my attention wavered for a minute. I mean, I also want to say this is not the only thing I've done over the last three years. I mean, if you follow my website, you know, there's a new blog every uh, twice a week, a new newsletter twice a month. magazine uh, work, the TV work, you know, there's a lot of uh, other activities that go on. Uh, In fact, during that time, I've started my research on my next book, which is a return to the world of barbecue. Uh, Next book will be a book focusing solely on smoking. Stephen Reichland joining me here on the show, the website barbecuebible.com. That's barbecue spelled B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, or as I like to call it, the right way. Um... Let me diverge just for one second, and uh, this was kind of a, a topic that I was ballyhooing to you about a little bit, and it's, uh, it has to do with horse meat. And let me give you a little backstory here. I was talking with a guy last week who is, uh, you know, makes his living in the, in the butcher business, uh, specialty meat shop, and we were talking about, uh, you know, this, uh, how the, the, the beef industry has grown from you know where it started back uh, even when the Indians uh, and the pilgrims had come over all of a sudden and then there was the huge uh, meat farms and the meat packing and, and now it's almost gone into this uh, as you had said people are caring about how they're raised and how they're uh, executed and how they're finished and almost like meat as wine so you could trace it all the way back and kind of see where that the lineage has gone through and we said well you know there doesn't seem to be any outlet for horses and we had kind of talked about it last week and 
Uh, in Italy, it seems to be uh, quite a staple on the menu, horse meat. I mean, you're a guy that's been well-traveled not only across this country but across the world. Is horse meat something that other countries uh, do partake in and, and find it favorable to your knowledge? Well, there are countries that do eat horse meat, um, particularly France. Uh, France comes to mind, and when I was a student in Paris back in the 1970s, Almost every block in Market Street had what was called a Chevaline, a, a horse butcher shop. <coughs> and you would recognize it uh, by a little golden horse head uh, uh, in, uh, over the marquee. Um, the French do still eat horse. Uh, I would say consumption has gone down. Uh, I, I'll, I mean, I've eaten horse. Uh, it's a leaner meat than beef. Uh, my recollection is that it's a sweet meat, uh, but I think, to be honest with you, it's going to be a pretty uphill battle to convince large numbers of Americans to uh, to eat horse. Is it because there is that personal uh, or perceived personal relationship that the horses seem to be a little bit more domesticated, like a cat or a dog, versus, you know, I mean, a cow or a steer is kind of seen as something that is, is raised to be killed and eaten, um, where I guess it's not really seen that much as a horse. Is, is that kind of the, the main mantra or the, the main issue that you would be trying to overcome? Yeah, I, I think it's the uh, the emotional and the perceptional uh, relationship we have with horses. I mean, look, in Peru, uh, they, eat, uh, they eat guinea pig, and it's, a, you know, it's not exotic or shock food. It just happens to be something that people eat, and uh, also in Peru, people eat beef heart, and um, it's, you know, again, not for shock value or machismo or anything, but it's just what people eat. Uh, in uh, Vietnam, I've eaten dog. Uh, I, I think that would be a pretty tough sell yeah. uh, back in the United States. Yeah. But, you know, for a lot of Asians, uh, our love of uh, dairy products, and in particular, stinky cheeses, is completely incomprehensible. So... Uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm all for cultural differences. I, I, I think in this homogenized world, the more we can hold on to our traditions, the better we are. Stephen Reichland joining me here on the show. Uh, Stephen, obviously in a couple of weeks we have uh, Super Bowl coming up. That is widely considered to be a great day of uh, overindulgence, whether it be through the beverage or through the food. Um, you know, I like beverages just as much as the next guy, but as far as food is concerned, and, and perhaps this is the wrong impression that I get about Super Bowl, uh, there seems to be a uh, more of a, an effort placed on the, uh, let's call it the finger foods or the appetizers more than, you know, some of those big hunks of protein. I'm sure they are there, but uh, I mean, is that a, a fair assessment? Do you think a lot of people like to get away with, uh, you know, the, the over-the-top hors d'oeuvres or the heavy hors d'oeuvres than having a, a real main course? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting observation. I know uh, this morning on uh, my website, uh, we put up uh, a blog about uh, dips around the world that are cooked on the grill. So, you know, the inevitable and, uh, and tortured onion dip gets a new life when the onions are caramelized on the grill. To put in your request for a future show, please contact John Solberg via email at john, J-O-N, at the bbqcentralshow.com. That's right. That's where you get me, like the big man said, john, J-O-N, john, at the bbqcentralshow.com. Love to hear from you. We'd also love it very much if you would follow the Big Barbecue Central Show on social media. 
It is at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter, slash BBQ Central Show over on Facebook. Always appreciated. Very easy to do. I'm really curious what tortured onion dip is, and I hope Stephen describes it here. If he doesn't, if he does not describe it here, I'm going to have to hit the Google box and try to find tortured onion dip. Sure, I can. I babbled, babbled, babbled long enough. Let's jump back into the second segment today with Stephen Reichlin, Greg Rempe, January 28th, 2014. Uh, grilled eggplant dip, grilled pepper dip. but And uh, last week's blog was on wings, and our next blog is actually going to uh, pit uh, Seattle plank salmon against uh, Colorado uh, bison burgers. But um, but you make an interesting observation, and I'm I'm, I'm not sure why I'm, I'm not sure why the big hunk of meat does not turn up. Maybe because you know so there's so many Super Bowl parties, and you know people like to stand around and gather uh, gather around uh, for the parties. Um, but you know we do uh, the, the one statistic that really gladdens my heart and especially in this brutal winter and i know you guys are just having a terrible time up there in cleveland yeah. um is that super bowl is the busiest grilling day uh of winter and it's the second biggest food day uh in the country the first being thanksgiving so you know hats off to anybody out there who uh shovels that path to their grill yeah, brutal out here, no doubt about it. Uh, so as far as recipes are concerned, uh, you're going to be firing up the game. Uh, what do you recommend or, or what are you going to be trying out for the Super Bowl this year? Uh, well, you know, uh, the wing, I mean, buffalo wing, which was uh, sort of went hand-in-hand hand with uh, buffalo, the, the great string of victories of the Buffalo Bills. I believe it was back in the 1990s and the buffalo wing that was invented, the anchor uh the bar in Buffalo, but to me, if something tastes good, uh, baked, uh, or deep fried, it tastes even better grilled. You know, for me, there's no better way to cook a wing than what I call smoke roasting. That's not smoking low and slow like you would do for a brisket because then the skin gets kind of rubbery. But, uh, when you indirect grill at a higher heat, so you both crisp the skin and smoke the meat, uh, that for me is, uh, the way to go. And what I like to do instead of the traditional hot sauce, I like to do a pan fry of, uh, of garlic and jalapeno chilies and cilantro and pour that mixture over the wings. It's killer. Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. BarbecueBible.com is uh, the place to go to make sure that you're up to speed on what Stephen is up to. Uh, obviously, you'd mentioned how cold it was uh, up here in the Northeast and a lot of other places across the country. You know, when you are uh, cooking in the summer and the springtime, it's one thing, but when you're cooking outside in the winter, it's a whole different monster. As far as some key things or, or key items to remember to take into account before you fire that grill up, uh, as far as cooking in the winter, what's your best advice? Okay, uh, and I, I do have to preface these remarks by saying that I am in uh, Miami, uh, talking to you from Miami, where uh, it's 82 degrees. You don't, you don't have to say that. That's just a thing. Nonetheless, I used to live in Boston, chip the ice off my grill. So, number one, do not light your grill under tree boughs laden with snow. Uh, may seem obvious, but, you know, we've all seen it happen. Number two, uh, resist the temptation to do grilling in a garage or in a carport or any uh, closed uh, area because uh, 
especially if you work with charcoal, you will get a toxic gas called carbon monoxide. Number three, uh, and this is counterintuitive, but remember a grill is hot. Sometimes you need grilling outside and it's so cold you forget that the metal pieces are hot. So keep that in mind. Number four, uh, remember that you'll need somewhere between 20 and 30 percent uh, to add 20 uh, to 30 percent more cooking time when it's cold, particularly if you're indirect grilling. And finally, uh, what I used to do when I was in New England, or I remember giving a class up in uh, Calgary. Of course, that was only September, but we got six inches of snow during the class. Uh, light an extra kettle grill, uh, fill it with charcoal. We have a couple extra chimneys lit, so you've got the extra firepower uh, if you need to boost the heat. By the way, we're doing a whole uh, a whole series on uh, uh, cold weather grilling on uh, barbecuebible.com next week. All right, so look for that. Um, you know, one of the other things that goes hand in hand with this whole Super Bowl thing and the eating, as I had mentioned, was libations. And one of the posts that I had saw on Barbecue Bible recently was smoked drinks. And I think it was maybe a year and a half ago, uh, I was first introduced to some grilled cocktails. But this kind of changes it up even a little bit more. What can you tell me about smoked drinks? Well, uh, smoked drinks came on my radar, I guess, uh, about six months ago, first with a trip to uh, Phoenix where... uh, I had uh, had a drink where the bartender, there's, there's a cool tool called the PolyScience Smoking Gun. And uh, imagine it sort of as a motorized bong. That's the only way I can think of it. Uh, but in the burner, you put, uh, you put hardwood chips, and it blows smoke out a tube uh, into your drink. And they uh, used it to, uh, to actually smoke the inside of a brandy snifter, uh, which was then filled with uh, uh, filled with a mezcal based uh, cocktail and uh, it kind of demonstrated two ways to smoke a cocktail one is actually to fill the glass with smoke uh, the second is to use a smoky spirit a spirit whose base ingredients are smoke like uh, cactus in the uh, example of mezcal which is a Mexican spirit of course or scotch whiskey uh, from the Isle of Isler uh, And the coolest way to do it is actually to take that rubber hose, insert it in a Bloody Mary or a Manhattan, cover the glass with plastic wrap, uh, put a blast of smoke in for about three to five minutes, let it infuse into the drink, and then stir and taste it. And it will taste like the potable version uh, of a smoked rib or smoked brisket. It's a really cool technique. Does it take a, a drink or two or a sip or two to, to kind of get used to it? Because I imagine your your uh, your olfactory senses and your uh, say uh, your sense of taste has to be going crazy for something like that. Uh, you know, to me, it was very quick and uh, it just it just made sense instantly, and it made me feel like why have I lived most of my life without <laughs> having smoked cocktails? <laughs> Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. Uh, Stephen, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about another post that you had had on Barbecue Bible, which is a fireplace grilling. Now, obviously, uh, well, I mean, I guess if you have the open gas fireplaces, you could do it too, but I would imagine you're specifically talking about the wood-burning fireplace. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, um, you know, we sort of tend to forget it, but our word focus as uh, laser focus of this conversation or when your wife tells you to uh, focus on what she's saying comes from the Latin word focus, meaning uh, an indoor hearth, an indoor fireplace, 
where the ancient Romans used to do their cooking. And because it was in the center of the household and people gathered around it not only to keep warm but to cook their food and eat, it really was the focal point of life. Uh, grilling in the fireplace for me, it's, it's just it's a fantastic way to cook because what's your fuel? Your fuel is wood. And wood has way more uh, flavor than propane. It has even way more flavor than charcoal. It's the uh, the ultimate way to cook. And in this blog, you know, I give you tips on on different ways to arrange your fire, uh, uh, different tools you need for fireplace grilling. Uh, but it's a it's a really and it's particularly this time of year, man. If you have a fireplace, it's a great way to keep your love of barbecue going during these cold winter months. And nothing that's uh, you know overly messy or anything like that. No, I mean, and it can be, you know, it can be as simple or as elaborate as you, as you want. Uh, I, a few years ago, I designed a Tuscan grill, which is basically a cast iron grill grate that is on legs that you slide in kind of to the apron of your fireplace using a grill hoe or shovel. You shovel the embers under it, and then you can cook a steak on it. That's the traditional way of cooking uh, a Florentine uh, bistecca alla Fiorentina, a uh, Florentine steak. Um, uh, Another cool thing to do is you just place a row of bricks in front of your fireplace and place whole onions uh, that are, you hollow out the top and put butter and balsamic vinegar uh, in the onions. You can use a grill ring, one of my grill rings, or a crumpled aluminum foil grill ring, and let the onions roast by the radiant uh, heat of the grill, uh, of the uh, of the fireplace. But it's, you know, fire and smoke and the comfort of being indoors and the fascination of watching the flickering fire. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. Gotta agree. Doesn't get better than that. Always a wonderful thing. Hey, would you like to hear the rest of this show? There is a link in today's show notes to take you to the complete episode. You can find that over at thebbqcentralshow.com. Also a great search feature over there. You don't want to search but you'd like to hear a show, shoot me an email, john at thebbqcentralshow.com. I'll find it and cut it up for you. Happy to do so. Time for me to get out of here. So until next time on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less, I am your host, John Solberg, and I do look forward to talking to you again soon.